You guys doing? Yeah? Awesome. Man, that was so good. Man, give it, give it up for the band. They did such a good job. Oh my gosh. So good. I mean, amen. Let's go home. Well, good morning. My name is Marco. I'm the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse Community Church. Thank you so much for uh, joining us and hanging out with us this morning. If you are new, uh, man, just so thankful for you to be here with us, so worshiping alongside us, uh, trying to figure us all out, the tattoos, the beards, all the good stuff. Uh, but in addition to that, we love Jesus. We love uh, his word. We preach through books of the Bible. And even when we don't, we are in his word. So, if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. If you're new, uh, just a couple of things for you. Uh, pick up a Connect card. They should be on your seat. Drop it in the offering basket or in the back uh, Connect desk, and uh, someone will get with you within 24 hours. That's how badly we'd love to hang out with you. Um, and in addition to that, uh, there are Bibles on the rows. If you don't have a Bible, that is our gift to you, so please take one. Uh, if you know someone who would benefit from having a Bible, please take one uh, and hook them up, bless them with it. A couple of brief announcements just beat, never mind. Okay. Uh, just before we start our time, uh, number one is uh, we're meant to have baptisms earlier or later on today, but through some logistical difficulties, we have postponed baptisms till next week. So on Sunday of next week, we're going to have baptisms. And so if you have questions regarding baptisms, uh, man, then please come up to me after service. I'd love to talk to you about what baptism is, what it means, um, and uh, and we'll, we'll we'll get you going that way. Uh, if you are a part of the members class that started last week, part two is today. That's again on the third floor. Childcare and lunch is provided. I think that's all I have. We can, we can dive into our time this morning. And so I'd like to give you kind of a, just a brief uh, recap of, of where we've been. I don't necessarily want to dive too much into the first half of chapter one in Peter. If you're just joining us, you can visit our website. All of our sermons are on there so you can get caught up, which is cool. Um, but apart from that, the Apostle Peter is speaking to a variety or, or various churches, and uh, we've titled our sermon series in light of how he addresses them, and he addresses them as exiles. Specifically, he addresses them as elect exiles. That is that not only are they chosen by God, not only are they God's people, but they are living in exile. Uh, many of them are facing or have faced social persecution. Some of you have faced social persecution where, man, you became a Christian, and in particular, in our context, sometimes you're turning your back on the family, you're turning your back on, on, uh, on, on the culture or your tradition, and so some of these Christians in what is now modern-day Turkey uh, have uh, been facing social persecution. They have been uh, cast aside, rejected by their family, by society, by their friends, uh, so some of them are facing social persecution. Many of them are going to uh, face physical persecution where many of them will tragically pass away. But nevertheless, Peter addresses them as elect exiles. He says that although you are God's chosen people, this is not your home. This is your temporary residence. This earth is passing away. You are just walking through. And as you walk through, I need you to set your mind on your citizenship, that your citizenship right now is in heaven. It is not something that will be. It is something that is. And so we spent a great deal of time in chapter one where he uh, continually encourages them on what God has done for them. Last week, we found ourselves uh, finishing up chapter one, where his language begins to change. See, at the beginning of chapter one, Peter is reminding them of God's work 
for them. And, and uh, a couple of weeks ago, he, he had a shift in his language. He uses this very fancy word. It's, it's called therefore. And therefore implies that he's changing his tone. He's changing the direction. It implies that he's coming to a conclusion. And so when he says therefore, he's ultimately saying, in light of who you are and what God has done for you, you as elect exiles, you as Christians are to pursue holiness. And he begins, and we spent about two weeks in that, and he unpacks what holiness is and what it means to be holy. And as we have been moving forward, uh, going into chapter two, uh, actually ending in chapter one and starting today, he is looking at various contexts of what it looks like to pursue holiness, what it looks like specifically for Christians to pursue holiness. And beginning with last week, coming into this week, he is addressing what it looks like to pursue holiness with one another, that is, in the church. What does it look like to pursue holiness with one another? As we move forward, he's going to talk about what it looks like to, pr- uh, to, to pursue holiness in a social setting when, when the culture, the atmosphere, the city, the community is predominantly not Christian. What does it look like to pursue holiness in that way? We'll talk more about that as we get there. What I do find interesting is that Peter begins with the church. And we can learn a lot from that regarding their context. The reason I think we can learn a lot from that is because in this letter, Peter is being incredibly encouraging, but he is also making sure that he equips the church to know that they ought to not only love God, but love one another. That if they are to survive, if they are to persevere, if they are by, uh, for lack of a better word, to achieve success, then they must, it must begin with holiness, not just toward our love for God, but our love for one another. Last week we talked about the church can be known for a lot of things. In fact, I posed the question to you, what do you think Storehouse is known for? Not from my perspective, but from yours. Maybe, maybe it's our theology. Maybe it's the mission. Maybe it's the beards. I don't know. Maybe it's all of these things. But more seriously, is it be, are we known by how well we love one another? Jesus throughout the Gospels even say, people will know you are my disciples by how you love one another. And so that's where we find ourselves still. He is still addressing us because at the end of the day, God chose to reveal himself through the church. And so it's very strategic, it's very pastoral, it's very biblical, I think, to begin with the church before we move on to a variety of other contexts. So here's what I'd like to do. I'm going to read uh, these three verses. hope this doesn't fall, but I'm going to read these three verses, and then I'm going to pray, and then we'll, we'll, we'll tackle this. Here we go. Beginning in verse one, again, this is chapter two. Beginning in verse one, Peter writes, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let's pray. God, as we continue to worship you through the preached word, Lord, my prayer, I hope, is very simple. That this time would be filled with the power and presence of your Holy Spirit. That this sermon, that this message would be gospel-centered. And that you would receive all the glory. Holy Spirit, I pray that you take whatever it is I say, and you take it from people's ears to their hearts. That those who don't know who Jesus is, that they would come to know Jesus. And that those who do know who Jesus is, that they would come to know and love him even more. God, I pray that you would cast me aside. And Holy Spirit, that it would be ultimately you working through me for your glory, not my own or anyone else's. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. 
All right, here we go. We're going to look at a lot of scripture today. It's only three verses, but I hope you have all 66 books memorized because we're going to be flipping through the Bible a lot today. If you have an app that tells you, you're just not as cool. Uh, But nevertheless, if you want some homework, memorize all 66 books. Anyway, here we go. So this week, uh, this week's been really good for me. It's, it's been a really busy week, nevertheless, but it's been a really good week. I, I've gotten to hang out with many of you. I've gotten to hear about your weeks. And uh, this week I've had several meetings. A lot of them were back to back. A lot of them were almost pretty much every day. And so I've gotten to hear a lot from, from many of you, and it's been great. If I've hung out with you this week, you're awesome, seriously. Uh, so all of those meetings have had everything to do from counseling to discipleship. Some of them were development, like leadership development type stuff. Some of them were staff meetings and all of those are great. And every chance I got or every time I came to an opportunity, uh, I would ask a version of this question, the question that I want to pose to you. I would ask this question. I would ask, how's your time with the Lord going? That was the question. It's very simple, right? How's your time with the Lord going? Maybe I'd ask a follow-up question or two, but the most common answer that I received this week when asked that question was, it's not where it should be. My relationship with God is not where it should be. And many of you, if I asked you that question, if I asked you that question, you might have a similar response. If anything, you might even have a couple of follow-up comments or follow-up thoughts to say, you would answer something like, it's not where it should be. It could be better. But, you know, we all struggle in our relationship with God, and so that's just kind of where I'm at, right? I want to provide you with my response to that question. Now, I'm going to do it in my fashion because it's three areas, but they're all going to fall under the category of hunger, You see, when I ask that question, sadly, sometimes um, I'm expecting that kind of a response. It should be better. It could be better. Uh, You know, I'm struggling with it. You know, I need to do some things better or I need to do more of X, Y, and Z. And the problem that I have with that is that it brings concerns concerning or regarding, it brings concerns regarding your hunger. I'm certainly not saying that I am not immune to responses like that. Don't hear me say that. But nevertheless, the concern still stands. The concern still stands because it is dealing with your hunger. And so I'd like to answer or respond to those kinds of responses, particularly if you're thinking that. I'd like to respond with three different things. Here here are my concerns when it comes to a response like it's not where it should be. It could be better. Here's my first concern. My first concern is that you're simply not hungry enough. We're just going to be honest. You're simply not hungry enough. In other words, you lack desire. Because you lack desire, there's a lack of dependence. And I'm sure you can fill in the blank with many other things. You can fill it in with laziness. You can fill it in with busyness. You can fill it in with whatever it is you'd like at the end of the day or the bottom line. It's that there is a lack of desire. You're simply not hungry hungry enough. Perhaps it's not that you're not hungry enough. Perhaps you're just hungry for the wrong thing. So instead of there being a lack of desire, there is a lack of priority or a lack of prioritization. And so maybe you are invested in several other things, several other areas, other uh, supplements, if you will. You're invested in all of these other things, but you're just hungry for the wrong thing because you're not prioritizing because that doesn't sound very appealing. Maybe it's the other way, or not the other way around, but maybe it boils down to something even a little bit more stark. It's the fact that You're just not hungry. You're just not hungry for the Lord. So it's not a lack of desire. It's not a lack of priority. It's just a lack of a relationship. It's just a lack of a relationship. 
This Christian thing is too hard. Church is, nah, and religion is not really for me. And so oftentimes what ends up happening is that uh, uh, the Lord Jesus and church and the Christian life is really just an event. And so there really isn't any desire. There really isn't prioritization. But most significantly, there really isn't a relationship. And maybe that's where you find yourself. See, in this section, the Apostle Peter is going to address not only who we are, but what we're supposed to do. He's going to provide it with us. He's going to provide it to us with a negative and a positive. But first, we must look and start with verse 3. In particular, if you find yourself in one of those three responses. So let's go to verse 3. We're actually going to work our way backwards. That's the logical progression. We'll talk about that later, but we're going to start in verse 3. And it's very short. He says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. If you have tasted that the Lord is good, then I want us to slow down, especially if you're taking notes, chill out. You'll get to writing a bunch of nerdy stuff in a little bit. So slow it down. If you have tasted that the Lord is is good, then I want you to go back to the beginning. I want you to slow it down just for a minute. I want us to be kind of like Peter and Jesus in John 21. Do you remember when you were first confronted with your sin and then comforted by the word of God, comforted by Jesus? That time where you experienced grace and salvation. Slow it down. Don't write this down. We're not going there yet. Slow it down. That moment where you received grace. That moment where everything, all of a sudden, you recognized, I am a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. In John 21, we see that the disciples are fishing And they're fishing because they're bored and they don't know what else to do. Uh, They've had a ton of things happen throughout the past couple of days. For instance, Jesus was falsely accused, arrested, uh, tried. He was eventually crucified and died. He has resurrected, but they haven't seen him yet. And so all the disciples at that time scattered. They, They blitzed. They left him. They left him alone. And so here it is a couple of days later, and in particular, it's the Apostle Peter. At the time, it was just Peter Petras. And so Peter says, man, let's, let's go fishing. And so he goes fishing. And then on the shore, and I'm paraphrasing all of this, on the shore, we see Jesus approach them. And he says, children, children, haven't you caught anything? And they said, no, we've been out here all night. They're all upset. And he says, throw the net on the other side. You're going to get a bunch of fish. And so they do. And as he does that, or as they do that, Peter is the one that recognizes Jesus' voice and recognizes Jesus himself. And so what Scripture says is, homeboy took his robe off and dove into the water. And he made his way up to Jesus. And as he makes his way up to Jesus, I can only imagine what the start of that conversation looked like when Peter just a couple of days ago denied him after saying he would never deny him, after saying that he would fight to the death for him. He even tried cutting some dude's head off and failed. And then a couple of hours later, he abandoned Jesus. That seems like our story. And so scripture doesn't record that initial conversation, but scripture does record the conversation Jesus ended up having with Peter where he asks him the question, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Peter, do you love me? You know I do. Peter, do you love me? And it was upon that third time asking that question where Peter's spirit and heart broke because he realized that he was experiencing not only the grace of God, but that he was being restored to Jesus after betraying him, after sinning against him. Do you remember that moment? Some of you might have been this week. Maybe you're a new Christian. Some of you, maybe it was a couple of years ago. I don't know, five, ten years ago. Some of you is 20 years ago, maybe more. I don't know. But do you remember that moment? 
Do you remember that moment where you were both confronted with your sin and then comforted by the gospel in that same moment? When Peter says that if you indeed have tasted that the Lord is good, that moment, that moment wasn't only salvific, but it was the beginning of everything. It was the beginning of everything. When, when Peter writes that, that you've tasted that the Lord is good, he is pulling from the Old Testament in Psalm 34. The psalmist says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. It was the start of everything, not the end of any, everything. See, when you tasted grace and salvation. That taste is what ignited your appetite. It ignited hunger. It uh, ignited dependence. All of a sudden you use those terms like, man, I was on fire for God. I was looking at his word. I was growing in my relationship with the Lord. So what happened? What changed? The God of the Bible has not changed. He is the same yesterday as he is today as he will be forevermore. Glad we got that fact out of the way. So then what changed? Something changed. Let's go to verse two. Peter, Peter will address the church's character. In verse two, he says, like newborn infants long for the spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Verse two, Peter is not addressing necessarily the immaturity of the church. When he calls them newborn infants, he's not addressing their immaturity. In fact, what Peter is doing is he is pressing into their intensity or their lack of intensity concerning their relationship with God. We're going to talk about this in just a moment, but, but hear me on this. Intensity is measured. We're going to get a little scientific in a bit, but intensity is measured. You see, we were created to have hunger for God. As infants long for milk, we should long for pure and unadulterated spiritual milk. That is the word of God. Verse 2, many will say, this is the summary for the entire letter. In addition to that, that word long in this section is the only imperative. So when you ask, so what must I do? He's telling you, you need to long for pure spiritual milk, just like an infant. Many of you have babies. Many of you have had babies. What do babies do? They cry out. But why are they crying out? They're not just crying out to get attention. They're crying out because they're hungry. And they're going to scream louder and louder. And not just because they're hungry, but because they're dependent on mom. If you don't give me food, I won't grow. I won't get strong. I won't survive. That's what Peter is saying when he says, like newborn infants, long for spiritual milk. That as Christians, we ought to desire and long and hunger for the word of God. And so what's our problem? Among other things, the problem is, the reason, the, 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 the question for why don't we long for spiritual milk? What, what is the problem? The problem is, is that you and I trade or exchange purity for toxicity all of the time. We exchange purity for toxicity. So I want to look at four things, four things that we often trade, Right? So let's begin with immaturity and intensity. Oftentimes, we trade intensity for immaturity. We trade intensity for immaturity. So what does it mean to be immature? It means that the gospel has been reduced. That the gospel is now old news. 
that you can't handle, funny, you can't handle the truth. (laughs) You cannot handle it. The gospel is now old news. Listen to the way the writer in Hebrews addresses this concern. This is Hebrews chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. He says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. He says, man, you're still mature. You're that. You're like a child. You haven't grown in your spiritual walk with the Lord. Nothing's really changed. We keep addressing the same things and it's not that basics are bad. Basics are foundational. Basics are really good. But it seems that's all we talk about because there isn't any growth. Some of you are there. You have been Christians. You say you have been Christians for a very long time that you have walked with the Lord, but there is no growth. There is no maturity And many of the times the reason there isn't any growth or maturity is because we've reduced the gospel to old news. We've reduced the gospel to simply a ticket. A ticket that we exchange at the end of our life. And so Peter presses in. He's saying, instead of immaturity, I want you to grow in intensity. I want you to be intense Christians. Now I want to pause here for just a moment. When I taught strength and conditioning classes and I had uh, uh, my athletes, we would often talk about intensity. And when I would ask them, what do you think intensity is? It never failed. They seemed to provide similar, if not the same answers. And Christians are similar in the same in this way. So I would ask them, what do you think intensity is? And they would say, well, I think intensity is uh, when someone's lifting a lot of weight and they're grunting. They're grunting and they're exerting a lot of energy. Okay? What else? What else do you think intensity is? Some would then say, man, I think intensity is actually cultural. That you'll see some athletes come in and like drink the Kool-Aid and they are all about that sport and they just look intense. Like they know what they're doing. They're taking the right supplements. They have the right shoes. Their gym bag looks really cool. And uh, man, they were grandfathered into this gym. That's really intense. That's really intimidating. However, none of those things define intensity. None of those things define intensity. Without getting too much into the strength and conditioning side of things, intensity is measured over time. Because as it is measured over time, there is a result that is produced. There is a result that is ongoing as the athlete improves in their strength and conditioning, results end up happening. And so Peter is pressing into the intensity of the church or the lack of intensity. And he's saying, I need you to long for spiritual milk. The way I know you're longing for spiritual milk is that your intensity is growing, that your love for God is is growing and your love for sin is decreasing. In fact, you are now hating sin and loving God more. Your intensity is growing. It's saying, keep it going. Go, go, grow, get stronger. But you can only do that if you long for pure spiritual milk. The gospel doesn't only save, it also sanctifies. It sanctifies. There's that fancy word, right? Sanctification. It's the ongoing work of God in the believer. That as we learn to hate our sin, our love for God increases. It happens together. And if it's not happening, it could be because you're simply immature and not intense. Intensity is measured. It is not cultural 
So the equivalent would be if someone in the gym is making a lot of noise, the equivalent in, in the church would be, I don't know, the person who has the calfskin Bible, the person who has the most commentaries on their shelf, right? The person who listens to worship music all day long in their house and has a wall full of crucifixes. I mean, it's the same thing. Intensity is measured. And if you want, uh, want to boil it down a little bit more simply, what, what does it, exactly does that mean? Intensity means that fruit is being produced. That fruit is being produced in the life of the believer. And just like an athlete grows, stumbles, fails, gets stronger, gets coached, the Christian grows and matures and gets stronger because their love for God increases while their hatred for sin increases at the same time. The next one is that we trade a lifestyle for a diet. We trade a lifestyle for a diet. So let's break this one down. Diets are designed to be temporary. Diets are designed to be temporary and diets are not natural. Some of you are like, what? Yeah, no, they're not natural, okay? Diets are not meant for long hauls, even if you've been doing it for a long time, all right? We could talk, look, man, if you want to talk nutrition, we could talk about that another day. Uh, I'd love to just talk about Jesus, but I'm going to use these analogies because they make sense. Diets are not natural. They're actually temporary. Here's the thing about diets. Diets make us believe that we have to do all of the things that we don't want to do and that the bad things are actually just called treats. We even have names for them. You see them all over social media. Don't act like you don't. It's called a cheat meal or a cheat day. Taco Tuesday, whatever you want, right? It's all over social media. It's all over our culture. People buy into it. Diets make us believe that all the things, that we, that we have to do all of these restricted things and we don't get to participate in these really, really good things that we actually want to, and then at some day we could actually give ourselves a treat. Some of you treat the Christian life just like a diet, You treat the Christian life as a diet. I can't do any of these things. I'm restricted from all of these other things. And then when you fall into sin, you justify it by saying, you know, I just felt peace about it. I I just felt peace. (laughs) Or if someone calls you out, you'll say something like, you're right, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have, man, now I'm convicted. And that's a good thing. But the problem is you made that decision because you weren't thinking clearly. You weren't sober-minded. You weren't exercising self-control. Let's, let's put it into that whole fad context, right? You've seen some of those images when someone has like too much food or just goes all out on a cheat day and eats all the things and then it says like, oh, you know, they, they were fit and now they're regretting it. They're regretting all of their decisions, right? They're regretting all of their decisions because they understand what they've done, but in the moment they didn't, right? You guys, you guys know what I'm talking about. Okay. In the fitness industry, we have something called diet brain. It's not a technical term. Don't look at it up in some book. Diet brain happens. This <laughs> is whatever. Okay. Diet brain happens when we restrict calories or nutrients specifically from our brain. Your brain functions off of good fat. And so when we restrict ourselves from calories or in particular, when we restrict ourselves from fat, you're actually not thinking clearly. your judgment is actually clouded. And so when you have a cheat meal, cheat meals usually have a ton of fat in them, right? And so all of a sudden your brain receives all of this fat and that's how you realize, oh crap, what have I done? (laughs) Because now you're thinking clearly in regret, but now you're thinking clearly. Same thing in the Christian life. 
when we think of the Christian life as a diet and we restrict all of these things because we're either holy or we think God doesn't love us and he's gonna press the eject button someday, at some point we get into the diet brain and you're not thinking clearly. In other words, you don't have sound judgment, you don't have self-control, you're not sober-minded because your brain isn't receiving the proper nutrients. And then you fall into sin and it isn't until after that you realize, what have I done? Conviction sets in, consequences take place. You treat the Christian life like a diet. It's not natural, it's temporary, and it's not meant to work for the long haul. Instead, the Christian life, worship of the Lord Jesus, is a lifestyle. A lifestyle is ongoing. A lifestyle is cyclical. It's not linear. It's cyclical. You fall off the horse, repent, get back on, let's go, keep moving. Lifestyle instills discipline. It instills self-control. It instills sober-mindedness. Why? Because your brain is receiving the right kind of nutrients. Why? Because you're taking in good food. What's the food that you're taking in? Pure spiritual milk. Pure spiritual milk. The Christian life isn't about what you uh, have to do. It's about what you get to do. The Christian life isn't about being enslaved to your sin. In fact, because of the person and work of Jesus, you are no longer slaves to your sin. Therefore, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. You have the power to say no to sin. You have been saved from the power of sin. The desire here is to take God seriously, not just on the weekends, not just before you pray at dinner, and not just at community group, but that you take God seriously all of the time. And he is encouraging passion. He is encouraging desire. He is encouraging hunger, not just for you, but so that others would see that you live out what you believe, that what you believe shapes how you live. And as a result, people want to know more about Jesus. Number three, we trade hunger for for fullness. We trade hunger for fullness. Here's what I mean. We rather stuff ourselves with something other than pure spiritual milk. But as long as the box says Christian and as long as the box says spiritual, we'll totally buy it. We'll totally buy it. And it's just as good as the other stuff. So what are those other things? Books, podcasts. All of us read books. All of us listen to podcasts, right? Uh, Devotionals, commentaries. Are you saying that those things are bad? No, I'm not saying that those things are bad. I think that those things are supplements. I think that those things are fillers. They're not designed to get you strong and healthy, You can take all of the supplements in the world and not eat properly and be incredibly unhealthy. That when it comes to things like devotionals, I think some of you are more about devotionals than you are about being devoted. I think some of you love commentary so much, the thing is you just want to read someone else's opinion over something that you ought to be reading. And as a result, you're just stuffing yourself with fillers just because it's in the Christian book section, just because some Christian uh, reposted this, just because it has hashtag blessed in it, you eat it up. Hunger, however, forces us to be dependent. Think of an infant. An infant is wailing for milk. It is, they are screaming for milk because they are dependent on someone else. They are dependent on mom to give them milk. And so when Peter says, long for spiritual milk, long for the purity of spiritual milk, he's saying depend on God. I'm not knocking podcasts. I'm not knocking books. That's just not God. His word is where he reveals himself. His Holy Spirit is who transforms us and makes us into the image of God, conforms us, I should say, into the image of God. 
not some best-selling author and not some well-reposted podcast and not even some old dead guy who wrote some really good commentaries. It is the word of God that transforms us. It is the Holy Spirit dwelling in the Christian that continues to transform us into the image of Christ. Number four, we exchange dependence for disbelief. So when you're filled, better yet, never mind, let's go back up to the same one. I don't want to get ahead. Hunger and fullness. Let's listen to, uh, let's go to Revelation 2. Don't get scared. Revelation 2, <laughs> verse 2 through 4. This is Jesus speaking through the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. This is what he says. He says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. So I want to pause right there before we continue. This is what Jesus is saying. He's telling the church, he's like, hey, you've been doing really, really well, right? Your podcast is awesome. Your sermon art, I like it, right? People are, uh, are hearing the gospel, right? Uh, man, you're being uh, good stewards of finances. You hate sin. You call people out, right, who say that they're Christian and they're not. He's saying all these good things. In turn, it would be like he's telling you, hey, you're doing really good. You got the Christian radio going. You got the Christian podcast going. You hang out in the Christian section of Barnes & Noble. Uh, maybe even Amazon, right? Love the crucifix wall and the fish on your car. Love it. Love it, right? Then this is what he says. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. So Jesus is telling me, hey, I see that you're doing all the work. Just like he's telling you, I see that you're working hard. A lot of work being done. Good. Awesome. I have this thing against you that you've forgotten about me. That you forgot about me as your first love. And so he says, remember how far you have fallen and repent. In other words, he's forcing us to look back at what he's done. He's saying, remember what I've done for you. Remember what I'm doing in you and remember what I'm doing through you. So repent. Go back to your original, go back to your why. Why did you do things in the beginning? For his glory. Why did you do things in the beginning? So that more people would come to worship Jesus. Why did you do this? So that people would come to learn and, and, and know about Jesus. At some point we traded hunger for fullness. Number four, now moving on. Number four, we trade dependence for disbelief. And so when you're full of these things, supplements and fillers, so on and so forth, when you're full of these things, the word of God is not only assumed, we talked about that up there, right, that it becomes old news. So the word of God is now assumed. So not only is it assumed, but it gets ignored. Once it gets ignored, it is lost. It's lost. The gospel is now lost. It went from being old news, it went from being old news to it being assumed. It went from it being assumed to it being ignored. It went from it being ignored to it being completely lost. And now we have been disconnected and are in disbelief. We forgot about the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians where he references the gospel. This is 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 4. He says, For I delivered to you of first importance... That's bold and underlined. That's not in, whatever. Bold and underlined. It's first importance. What I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Earlier in chapter 15, he says, let me remind you, brothers. Why? Because we have forgotten. He says the gospel is of first importance. What is the most important? The gospel. That is what is of first importance. Again, it not only saves, but it sanctifies. Depending 
or dependence is longing. We have to desire milk because once we stop desiring it, once we stop depending on it, disbelief leads to malnutrition. Disbelief leads to malnutrition. And so let's go to verse one. Peter writes, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. The sins listed by the apostle Peter all begin, all of them, all begin with the toxicity of our heart. The sins listed begin with the toxicity of our heart. And if they're not addressed, if they're not repented of, it is these sins that will tear the fabric of a healthy church from within. So certainly he is addressing us as individuals, but in addition, he is addressing us as a church. Where these sins exist, there will be an absence of the life and beauty of the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about them. Because that's what we do, right? We talk about them. First one is malice. In the original language, the word malice is just a general word for evil. It means anything that is opposite of virtue or godliness. And I like that Peter uses the word malice because now he covers all of us. Because you might read through these five things that Peter addresses in verse one. You might read through these five and you might say, well, I don't really struggle with that one. That's certainly not me. And so he just throws this blanket and he said, remove all malice. Anything opposite of godliness, anything that is not virtuous, that's malicious. Number two, he says deceit. Let me go back up real quick. So put away all malice and all deceit. I think the best way of, of uh, uh, addressing deceit uh, with some, some common day words would be spinning. All right, when you spin the truth. Deceit is adjusting the truth to paint yourself in a different light. Have truths, not take responsibility for your stuff, or take responsibility for oh, someone else's uh, work. Take their credit. It's adjusting the truth to paint yourself in a different light. Lack of ownership, lack of responsibility. It's self-righteous. That your heart is actually filled with impure motives. That's what it means to be deceitful. Number three is hypocrisy. Put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy. A hypocrite is an actor. That's where we get that word from. A hypocrite is an actor. What does an actor do? They pretend. They're fake. They're false. They're pretending to be someone they're not. That's what a hypocrite is. He says, put away all envy. What's envy? Comparison? It's one thing. Comparison, harboring ill feelings toward other people. We could just chalk that up to bitterness. That you're envious of someone who got the promotion and you did it. You're even envious of your brother or sister who has a certain spiritual gift and you don't. You're envious because someone received grace and not justice. That's envy. Number five, slander. What's slander? Speaking evil of another person. Particularly in church culture or in the context of church, oftentimes we would say, no, we'd never do that. I'm never going to speak ill of someone. But then prayer time comes. You get in their circle man, I just want you to join me in prayer for so-and-so because they're battling these things. And so you're just slandering them. I don't know about you, but have you noticed so-and-so? X, Y, and Z. Could you 
Could you help me just think through, uh, man, so-and-so did this. What do you think? And let me give you more context from two years ago. Let me tell you all the things that they did. And we'd chalk it up. We'd be like, oh, we're praying for, it was an unspoken. We're, we're just gonna pray for that person. And some of you will even say, man, so-and-so told me about someone. I really think that should go and talk to him, but it's not going to be me because I don't think I'm in that position. Somebody better say something because at that point now it's gossip. Somebody better say something. Or maybe in terms of slander, it's not so much, oh man, I'm going to talk about someone to someone else. I'm just going to journal it in my prayer journal. I'm just going to write about it. That's great. That's a great idea. Write about your bitterness so that you can continually uh, revisit it to remind you why you're bitter instead of actually repenting. All right. Glad we covered all five of those. Peter says, put these things away. And we've got to talk about that. He says, put these things away. Why? Why does he say that? Why does he say, put these things away? Is it just that we could be morally good people? Peter says, so put away. The reason he says, put away, it's because these are the people Christ came to die for. It is the malicious. It is the envious. It is the slanderous. Those are the ones he wants. Those are the ones he came for. Those are the sinners he died for, like you and me. Those are the ones he came to die for, to give his life for, to give them his righteousness and take on his, their sin. Those are the ones he came for. Why should we put them away? Because if you're a Christian, if you belong to Jesus, put these away because you have been born again. That's why Peter spends so much time in that first chapter talking to us about what God has done for us, what God is doing in us to remind us you have been born again. You have a new heart. You have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. You will never return to who you once were, so put these things away. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. You have tasted that the Lord is good. You have tasted that the Lord is good. And so when Peter says to put these things away, he's not leaving it up to us to kind of fill in the blank and figure out, well, if we're going to put these things away, what should we replace it with? He tells us what to replace it with. He says, so long for pure spiritual milk, long for the word of God. Go back to the beginning. Go back to that place where you experience grace and salvation. That might be Right now, that might be a time ago. This whole thing, when Peter says, put these all away, this isn't linear. He's not saying, I need you to take care of maliciousness and, or maliciousness and never address it again. Uh, I need you to take care of uh, slander, and, and once you're done with that, you're good. These aren't linear. These are cyclical. He's saying, so as these things come up, put them away. As these things uh, come into your life, actually address them. Our culture banks more on self-esteem so that when you hear words like deceit and slander and envy and malice, we often tend to think, man, that doesn't make me feel very good. So I'm just going to think positive things and not negative things. And so I'm going to address these. Peter's saying, no, 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 no. No, I actually want you to press into these things. I want you to press into these things so that you would be courageous enough to confront them so that as you confront them, you can repent of them. And as you repent and turn away from these things, your love for God increases and your hatred for them increases as well. Press into them. Don't ignore them. Address them. Repent of them combat them. How do we combat them? With the word of God. That's how we combat those things. Listen to Colossians 3 verses 9 through 10. Here's what the apostle Paul says. The apostle Paul says, do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self, 
with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. If you belong to Jesus, you are not who you used to be. God in Christ has redeemed you and made you new. Put away the old self. Put on the new self. All of these things, the the maliciousness and the slander, all of the things that Peter talked about, these aren't going to be things that you're going to face and often hold tangibly like like the chair you're sitting on. These are going to be things that are going to come from within you. Listen to, to Jesus in Matthew 15. He says, And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. These things may be tangible, but that tangibility are results of what's actually going on inside. So press into them, confront them, repent of them so that you would grow in maturity so that your love for God would increase, so that your hate for sin would also increase. Press into them. Christian, if you believe, or excuse me, if you belong to Jesus, there is grace in your failure because you are exactly who Christ came for. You are exactly who he died for. So put away all falsehood. Repent of all toxicity. Let your longing turn to desire and your desire to hunger and your hunger to dependence on the word of God. And if you're not a Christian, Jesus pardons every and any sinner who turns to him in repentance. The Bible is filled with Jesus saying, come to me, come to me, come to me. He invites you to him. So come to him. Find redemption and receive a new heart. I mentioned this last week. I'm not guaranteeing you a new car, more money, uh, or even a good book. What I'm guaranteeing you is a new heart. That is what you receive, a new heart. Heart. So church, let's go to the beginning of God's grace. It wasn't the end of a process. It was the beginning. Hunger for disbelief is simply volunteer slavery. We want to be shackled. Hunger for disbelief is simply volunteer slavery. Hunger for the word of God comes from tasting that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Father, you are a good father. You are a loving father. You are a, you are a father who uh, pursues his children, uh, not only in love, but, but pursues them uh, with passion so that they would repent even turn and turn to you even as we run in the opposing direction. God, would we take what the apostle Peter uh, addresses in this section of scripture, may we apply it not only to the condition of our hearts, but, uh, but, but, but to our hands. That when you talk to us uh, through the scriptures to tell us about uh, longing for spiritual milk, you are calling us to, to find ourselves in your word. This is where you reveal yourself to us. So God, may we be intense Christians. May we be Christians who, who worship you as a result of a lifestyle. May we be Christians who are hungry for your word. And may we be Christians who are dependent on you so that our hunger would be satisfied, so that our hunger would grow or help us grow. 
God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters being here this morning. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be um, working in them right now, comforting and convicting them. God, and as we turn to tithes and offerings, God, I pray that this would be a time of continued worship, that this would be uh, something tangible. This would be a demonstration of transformation. This is that intense part. This, is, this means results. This means fruit. And at the same time, God, may we be good stewards uh, of these finances. God, may uh, uh, we give generously, may we give cheerfully, and may we give faithfully all to your glory and your glory alone. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Scripture, so um, yeah, let's, let's dive in. God, in this time, um, just like when it was um, a time for singing, we, we, we uh, had our hearts prepared. We gave you our hearts in a, in a time of teaching. We gave you our minds. Um, in a time of giving, we give you our stuff. And, and now we've come to communion. This is where we give you our sin. God, your word teaches that this is... Um, an opportunity for us to not only fellowship with one another, but also to experience your grace. That is, that is undeserving favor towards sinners. 